Well, let's open that word together to the book of James. James chapter 1, this morning, verses 19 through 20. As we continue to study this letter together, we've arrived at a place where James begins to speak with very special practicality about being a believer in Jesus Christ. You, you might remember that the book of James is known just for that, uh, for a book that speaks to the practical details of being a follower of Jesus. Well, this is it. This is the book of practical details. And James, being a pastor, being a shepherd of the people of God, has a very intense and very special concern to apply the Word of God, that is God's perfect will and revelation, to all those who belong to Christ. The life of a Christian, as James sees it, and certainly he is in agreement with all of the Bible, but the life of a Christian is a life that is controlled by the Word, a life controlled by the Word. We saw last Lord's Day how it is the Word of God that inaugurates the Christian life. Our entrance into the kingdom of God, our new birth by the Spirit, is done by means of the Word, verse 18, of His own will, James writes. He brought us forth, that is, He brought us to new life in Christ by the Word of truth. And having been inaugurated by the Word, the Christian life is lived in accordance to that very Word. The whole scripture, according to James, is a divinely authorized way of life. And from this point on in the letter, he will apply that major truth in very practical ways. And the overarching theme of the book of James from this point forward is that the life of a believer is a life that is transformed, a life transformed by the power of God. The new birth, the experience of the new birth, is to be followed by the experience of the new life. If we've been regenerated by the Word of God, then as Christians, we are to conduct our lives in a manner that the Word commands. And that is the subject, that is the point, our heavenly origin, the heavenly origin of our new birth. James would say, must be reflected in very earthly, very practical conduct. And James now will get down to the nitty-gritty, the practical conduct. And so let's read together James 1, verses 19 through 20. I'll be reading this morning as typically from the English Standard Version. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord, blessed be his name. Well, let's begin unpacking those verses this morning, and let's just see how James speaks so practically and so simply to the transformed life that believers are to live. Uh, there is first something to be known. There is something to be known. Know this, he says. One translation reads this way. Take note of this. So here is a trumpet blast. Here is an alarm being sounded. Take note of this. This is something that everybody is to know. And you'll notice that that's, that's emphasized again. As James says, it is for every person. 
Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person... James has a real concern to speak to all the people of God. Now remember, they are scattered. They are throughout the Roman Empire, many of them fleeing persecution. They are gathering in little local churches, and James has written to them. But this letter and what he says in this letter is for every brother and sister in Christ, and you can see it is for every person in the church. We all need to listen. We all have an obligation. We all must pay very, very careful attention. He doesn't want any Christian, any one of us, stuck in infancy. He wants us moving forward. He wants the new life to get traction, to bear fruit, to grow to maturity. And as we read further, it becomes very apparent that there are three items of concern. There are three practical concerns here at the very beginning that James has on his radar. There are three instructions about the transformed life. And let's look at each one of these three. In the first place, all the brothers, every person, every member of the church is to be quick to hear. Now, as far as James goes in his letter, the first very practical way that the new birth and the new life is made evident is that we are quick to hear. Now, the larger context of the book helps us understand exactly what he's talking about. He is talking about hearing the Word of God. This is a book saturated in the Word of God. It is a book about the Word of God and the glory and the power of the Word of God. And he alludes to the Word of God throughout these chapters we find in James. But the point he is making is that all believers are to be very, very quick to hear every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is to be among God's people a spirit of readiness, of eagerness to listen and to do what the Lord has spoken, to do everything and to hear everything that the Lord has been pleased to reveal. And this is absolutely necessary for our growth in the faith. Now, you'll know a bit later, James is going to take this note of hearing much further. It is not enough simply to hear. And as we get together next Lord's Day, James is going to talk about doing and not just hearing. But for now, for now, the transformation is evidenced by the fact that God's people, every one of them, all of the brothers and sisters in the Lord, they hear, they hear the word of the Lord. Now think back to what you know about the Old Testament. Remember, James is, is writing the New Testament. The New Testament isn't written yet. The Bible that James has and the Bible the first century Christians had was the Old Testament. And think about some of the things the Old Testament says about the necessity of God's people being quick to hear. Think of the Shema. That is... The Israelite faith on a bumper sticker. What is it? Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. And so the basic cry of Israel's faith, and this is where our word Shema comes from, the Hebrew word, hear. God's people must be known as those who listen. They are quick to hear. Later on in that same book of Deuteronomy, through Moses, the Lord will talk about hearing again. The Lord says through Moses to the covenant people, if you listen, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I'm commanding you today, 
to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Then I will send rain down upon your land in its season. Listen. And then most of us know the beloved 119th Psalm. And there the psalmist utters these words that perhaps you've committed to memory. The psalmist says, Your word, Lord, I have treasured in my heart. That's the idea. That's what hearing is. I've listened. I've heard it audibly, and I have treasured your word in my heart. And then we remember that James was the brother of Jesus. James became a believer in his brother following the resurrection of his brother. And no doubt James was very, very aware of everything his brother Jesus had taught. And do you remember what Jesus said about listening and about hearing? Do you remember Matthew 7 where Jesus says this? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them He may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain came, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And there Jesus is telling us to listen to his word. And then in John 5, these, again, very familiar words, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. And so Jesus said the same thing. Paul, in that famous 10th chapter, Paul says as he defines what faith is, faith comes from what? Hearing. Hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. So the point James is making here is that if you want to be a mature believer in Christ, then we together must cultivate actively the discipline of hearing his word. We must be under the word, attuned to the word, exposed to the word, immersed in the word. And when we are those things, when the word is being listened to and heard, then we will be stimulated to action. We will be empowered to serve him, we will become more and more the holy and peculiar people who belong to the Lord, sanctified together. But notice the context, the context of our hearing. James is not talking here about our individual reading of the Bible, although that's very essential. That's not in vision. What's in his vision is the saints together in the church, gathered together in the covenant community, literally hearing with our two ears, literally hearing the teaching and the preaching of God's Word week after week. Now, it's important to read your Bible and all the Bible helps we have, but that's not what's on his radar here. What he is talking about is the gathered community. Those who gather in local churches Sunday after Sunday, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, in corporate worship before the Father, listening, listening to Him speak. And this is a character trait. This is a defining mark of those who belong to Him, using our two ears and our minds to take in everything that God has been pleased to reveal to us. And so what we're doing this morning is we're hearing the Word. Everything about the service of worship 
is the word. It is God speaking. And then it is our response. And we believe that not only the reading of God's word, but the preaching of God's word is God speaking. It is Christ speaking to his church. And this is the way he sanctifies us. This is where discipleship begins. There is no discipleship apart from the local church, apart from the corporate community gathered together. This is where it begins. And so we must be quick to hear the word of the Lord. And as we hear it, we are reformed and remade into the people we should be. So week after week, the Lord is changing you. He is changing you by what you're hearing. And he will be pleased and his kingdom will advance. And then notice the second area of concern for James. Quick to hear and slow to speak. Slow to speak. Now here James is going to start meddling with you. All right? It isn't me meddling with you. It's James. It's the Lord meddling with you. Apparently, there was a common problem in James' day. And it's very much like the problem we have. I appreciate John Blanchard. John Blanchard has written a very fine commentary on James. And in his exposition of this chapter, he states it so simply, we just talk too much. And that's not anything new. We've always talked too much. James believed that about his people, and it's true about us, isn't it? We are always busy talking. And we can't listen and talk at the same time. And you'll notice the priority here. We should cultivate listening and restrain our talking so they go together. We can't, we can't listen if we're talking. We must do one or the other. It's as if James is saying, look at the way the Lord designed your body. He gave you two ears and one mouth. Do the math. So hearing is a lot more important than speaking. There's the priority of hearing the word. Now, this is a concrete problem. It was a concrete problem in the first century. People not listening, people talking over each other, talking past each other, not paying attention to what they should be hearing. And, and part of the undercurrent of this passage is probably the fact that many, many people in those churches wanted to be teachers. They wanted to be spokesmen for the Lord before they were ready. Later on, James will directly warn that group. He will say in chapter 3, verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. So there were apparently many among those believers who really, really wanted to be teachers, but they were too busy talking and they had not done enough listening. The Apostle Paul would sound a similar note to Timothy. He would, he would warn Timothy about those who are always desiring to be teachers of the law, but they do so without knowing what they're talking about. They haven't listened enough, Paul would say. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know about these assertions they're making. They need to go back to school. So you must listen before you can talk. So we must be careful to not talk too much. Now, that was the first century problem, and indeed, it's a 21st century problem. In fact, it's probably a greater problem 
for us. Opportunities and outlets for talking and expressing ourselves have literally exploded exponentially. Our technology, as wonderful as it is, has provided countless ways that we can spout off everything we're thinking and everything we're feeling and every opinion we have on every subject. We have our emails and our texts and our tweets and our blogs, and that's just the beginning. We always are expressing what we think, what we feel, and we want the whole world to know what we're thinking. Our tongues are out of control, and that's the issue James has identified. We have a proclivity since the fall, since the Garden of Eden, to talk too much. And he would say that stands in direct opposition to the teaching of Scripture. Tongues should not be out of control. God's people, first and foremost, are to be known as careful, attentive listeners who control and restrict their tongues for God's glory. We have to listen a lot more than we talk. Now think about the wisdom of that. Obviously, James is drawing upon the wisdom of the Old Testament. Remember the wisdom book in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs? And just think of some of the things that Proverbs says about how much we talk. Proverbs 10, 19, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. Now, how true is that? Or how about this one? He who restrains his words has knowledge. And we think the opposite. The person who speaks the most is the wisest one, but the Scripture would flip it around and say, the one who restrains his words has knowledge. That's an amazing statement. Or how about this one? He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. Of course, Jesus echoed the, that same sentiment about our speaking, didn't he? Matthew five twenty seven. Jesus said, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, and anything beyond this is evil. Or Matthew twelve thirty six, words that haunt me as one who talks. But I tell you, Jesus said, every careless word that people speak they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. So we can see why this very simple command and exhortation about speaking finds its way in a letter written by the brother of the Lord Jesus. When we get to chapter 3, James will talk a lot more about speech. So if you thought this is the last time we're going to talk about this, well, you got another thing coming. Chapter 3. But for now, James would say to us, be slow to speak, because that's how you become a good listener. For a church to be healthy, for us to continue to grow, then every person must be, as one scholar says, a ready listener and a slow commentator. A ready listener and a slow commentator. May our prayer be, speak, Lord. For your servant listens. Hearing, speaking, and now emoting your emotions. Look at verses 19 and 20. Not only quick to hear, slow to speak, but then James says, a third area of concern, a third command related to the transformed life is is 
to be slow to anger. Every person, again, every person in the church, every brother and sister in Christ is to be slow to anger. And again, we see the simplicity and the practicality of that exhortation now addressing our emotions, especially the emotion of anger. Anger is a powerful, sometimes dominating emotion. And if it's given rain in our lives, it can wreak havoc wherever it's found. And you can see the connection between this third area of concern and the first two. It's been said that anger is a very serious hindrance to a meek and reverent hearing of the word. Angry people don't listen. Have you ever noticed that? They can't hear. There's too much steam coming out of their ears. There's no room for anything to go in. Their hearts are hardened. Their decisions are made. Their mind is set in concrete. They're not about to listen. And so it is a hindrance to the meek, as one man says, the meek and reverent hearing of the word. Another man says, when anger comes in, listening flies out. Anger pollutes and stains our speech, and it brings great harm to others. A careless word is accompanied oftentimes by an angry mood. Now, notice how James talks about man's anger. Do you see that? Man's anger, verses 19 and 20. James draws a distinction between the anger of a man and the righteousness of God. Compare the two, the anger of man and the righteousness of God. And James is going to drop a gospel bomb on you here. It's going to go off, it's going to hurt, but it's going to heal you. And the little gospel bomb he drops is this. Here is his point. The anger that we find in our hearts is fundamentally at odds with the character and the will of God. The anger I find in my heart is fundamentally at odds with the righteous character and the perfect will of the God who has saved us. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger. There is. And we are commanded in the Word to be angry and and not sin and to not let the sun go down on our anger. There is such a thing as righteous indignation, but that is not what James is addressing here. In fact, I would caution all of us to be very careful about assuming that we've ever had righteous indignation. We want to call it that. But it's been said the line between righteous anger and personal irritation is very thin. And we transgress that line. We fail to distinguish righteous anger for the cause of Christ and personal irritation that things are not going the way I want them to go. What a fine line that is. And James is rather pessimistic here about our anger. And he is simply dropping this bomb on us. The anger of man not cannot, but does not produce the righteousness of God. What we see in the world is a selfish, unbridled, destructive anger always being expressed and even being rewarded at times. It would seem that in our culture, the restraints have been removed. It's now acceptable to unleash all the vitriol and sharp sarcasm and criticism and viciousness upon other people. We see it everywhere we turn. 
The filters of our collective mouth have been removed in the name of self-expression and brutal honesty. But the Bible does not have a category called brutal honesty. It has a category called the truth in love. The truth in love. How many of us have bought the lie that we need to get off our chest everything we're feeling? In the name of emotional health, we're told, get it out, get it off. But the Bible would speak differently to that. The Bible would caution us, in fact, warn us about spilling our emotional sewage on other people. That's the way of the world. That's the antithesis to the kind of life we're called to live. That kind of heart is a heart full of self that has no concern for others, that has no self-restraint. And that angry, selfish heart, as James says, cannot be of service to Christ. We simply cannot serve the Lord if we're angry. And think about God's righteousness. Man's anger, God's righteousness. Man's anger does not, cannot produce the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means it doesn't forward God's righteous purposes. When I'm angry, God's righteous purposes are not advancing. It does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. It does not reflect back upon God the kind of righteousness that He delights in. It doesn't produce that which is in accordance with His will. It doesn't please Him. My anger and your anger divides the people of God, as one man writes. It dissipates the energies of the church, and it does incalculable injury to Christian enterprises. Our anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. It's been said that our anger is always heavily impregnated with sin, with self-importance, with self-assertion, with intolerance and stubbornness. I told you James was going to be straight up with you. There's an illustration of this in the Bible. If you're fumbling around in your mind trying to find an illustration, there's one you're overlooking. It's it's right under your nose. Moses himself. Do you remember in Numbers 20? Moses was absolutely ticked off at the people of God for their rebellion. And maybe for a moment he had in his heart a righteous indignation. These people whom you have saved, Lord, are now rejecting you. They're turning their back on you. And he begins to have a prophetic meltdown. And they get out in the wilderness and they're always complaining. And they come to Meribah and they are thirsty. They are thirsty. And so the Lord in mercy says, Moses, go over to that rock and speak to that rock. And I'll provide every drop of water these thirsty souls need. And Moses marches. I can just see him in my mind's eye. He marches over to that rock. And he is just red in the face. And what does he do? He takes the staff. He takes the rod of God. And he, in the presence of those people, smacks that rock twice. And water comes out. And the people drink. And God says to Moses, Because you did not listen to my word, you cannot take these people into the promised land. Now, what happened to Moses? He got angry. 
and he didn't listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord said, speak, speak to the rock, and he hid it. And he learned the lesson that anger, man's anger, does not achieve the righteousness of God, even for Moses. And if it's true for Moses, it will be true for me and you. And so James is saying to us who love Jesus and who love each other, put their brakes on your anger. Don't trust your anger to be righteous. It probably isn't. Listen. Restrain your words. Just as Christ must be Lord of your ears, he must be Lord of your mouth and Lord of your emotions. And then his righteousness will be served. Now let's put all this together. Let's think back to what James is saying. Let's find our instructions and our hope. In these three very simple practical exhortations, we find a very clear statement of what God desires to do in us. This is what He's doing in us. This is the shape our lives are to take as those who've been redeemed and set free in the name of Jesus. We must be people who hear his word, who worship under the word, who make worshiping and the hearing of the word the priority where we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that we put restraining bolts on our speech. That Christ will be Lord of every word. And put the brakes on our emotions, that our emotions would serve the Lordship of Christ. This is how the Spirit of God is sanctifying us. He's, he's calling us to listen He's calling us to speak a lot less. He is calling us to let Christ rule every feeling that we have. That's how he's transforming us. The new birth he's granted to us leads to a transformed life, a life under the word, ruled by the word. Everything about us ruled by the word, a life in submission to Christ our hearing submitted, our speaking submitted, our feelings submitted, ears, mouth, emotions, all under the word. This is, this is what he's doing in us. This is what pleases him. This is the pathway that he's taking us on for his glory. Are you listening? Is he ruling your words Is he the king of your emotions? The good news is that you've been born again by the powerful, effectual word of God. He who began a good work in you, let me paraphrase, he will not let you rest until he performs his good work in you and brings you to perfection where you hear and you speak, and you feel for him and for him alone. Would you join me as we pray?